Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcasts, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Metal Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick Six Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Witch vs. The Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found. Sorry. Yeah, Mike, you got the one. Still with the fucking coughing all these years. Oh God. All right. God damn it. Ten years and still going strong. Everybody's a suspect. You're listening to Rabbit and Red. Robert Shaw was a tough motherfucker. Right. They don't make that angry. He wanted to punch Richard Dreyfus on the set he couldn't stand because he's a pussy. Fuck you. God damn you. Welcome to Rabbit and Red Radio. And I know that you like Jason Takes Manhattan, but my question to you is why? <laughs> okay, hey, now. Okay, <laughs> you're going to tell me Halloween. You know what makes me mad about you, Mike? I'm going to tell that? you one. Yeah. You know what makes me mad? The Halloween 6? Halloween yeah. 6 is your favorite movie? It but certainly you think is. Jason Part 8? But you think Jason Part 8 sucks? Yeah. Are you joking? Jason belongs in hell. I'm gonna see he gets there. We have such sights to show you. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. And welcome back to Rabbit and Red Radio. You're saying people weren't clicking on and listening to my show to hear me talk? They just wanted to hear them? What fucking assholes, man? I know. And I'm guilty, <laughs> I'm guilty of that, too, because I'll click on it and I'll be like, Dad, fucking Ted Rigby's on this show. The blackest eyes. Welcome to Rabbit and Red. The devil's eyes. This is a huge honor for me. Uh-oh, too much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to disappoint you now. I've been blown up! Take me to the I'm gonna show those shitters what we can do. Welcome to Rabbit and Red Radio. 
And now, here's your hosts, Michael J. and Cody Robinson. And we're back. And this, well, that was me coughing, coughing up a lung, like I so often do, or at least I have in past circumstances. Mike's and, got the Rona. Oh, uh, I hope I haven't left the house since before quarantine began. You lucky bastard. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, I, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder, though, what it would be like to go out there in the wild as <laughs> things are now. Is Let me tell insane? you, it gets pretty wild, especially if you're carrying a pack of toilet paper. Oh, so do, do they like try to tackle you and wrestle it away from you and be like, no, it's my fucking toilet paper, asshole. Uh, I haven't seen that to that extent, but as soon as they roll a pallet out, you know, a big shrink wrap pallet oh. of toilet paper, they'll tear into it. So does it last at least five minutes or is it gone? It's it's slowing down a bit now. I mean, still, if they, they put any out, it's gone by the end of the day. Wow. But it, it's, there's not like people waiting in line for it anymore. Well, that's good, at least. At least not that I've seen. Well, I'm sure you had, like, um, lines wrapped around the outside of the store for people to get, like, um, hand sanitizer, toilet paper, all that stuff. Oh, God, we haven't had hand sanitizer since this whole thing started. You still don't? No. Wow. Or if we've gotten the end, I haven't seen it. That's unbelievable. I just, I can't believe it. Yeah. uh, I really can't. Still on the uh, paper goods and and meats, anything in the meat department. I mean, it's, they're still stripping it all bare. Wow. That's crazy. People are nuts. Yes. I I can't imagine it. But, but I do have a story because... Oh, I like stories. Well, well, you know, mine are somewhat weird and quirky, I guess, for the most part. Um, But I decided that I wanted a decent cup of coffee. This was last week. So I utilized um, DoorDash. And I uh, got from Dunkin' Donuts. I ordered myself a hot coffee. Very important that you hear hot coffee. With blueberry, a turkey sausage, egg and cheese sandwich on a croissant with no cheese. I don't prefer cheese. I don't like cheese. So the guy comes, he brings my food. I bring it in. First off, it's an iced coffee with blueberry. A week prior to this, I had also ordered from Dunkin' Donuts. And they had also given me an iced coffee. Now, I can't drink iced coffee black because it's too bitter. I can't do that. It just, it tastes like shit. Well, iced coffee is an abomination anyway. Well, yeah, well, I have to. That's just my opinion. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't prefer it. That's why I wanted my black coffee with just blueberry in it, which normally they would have no problem with. So this previous week, I just loaded it up with cream and sugar. The amount that I put in 
still wasn't enough because it tasted horrible. So I just dumped it and I couldn't finish it. Now, this coffee that I got, I'm like, okay, so six sugars and like four creams isn't going to cut it. So you have to add more. So I just got a shitload of sugar and just dumped it in the thing. I had no cream or milk or anything. So I you just, rebel you. Yeah. So I just dumped a bunch of sugar in there and then I fucking drank it. And let me tell you something. It was so fucking sweet that I almost vomited. In hindsight, I put too much sugar in it. So I ended up again dumping it and not having coffee. Very upsetting that day was. Then uh, I go to eat the sandwich. So I open it up, fucking slathered with cheese, just dripping off of the croissant. Do you know how disgusting that was? That made me start dry heaving. Oh, I love cheese. I mean, I've... I don't really know how disgusting that is. I'm sure for you. And I have a dairy allergy, but I still love cheese. Really? Do you take um, lactate for that? Uh, no, I just stay away from milk and uh, most of the time. And uh, I'm okay if I don't eat it uh, or have milk on an empty stomach. It doesn't bother me that much. So is it kind of like, like you? like Or you're like me? So let's say that you have dairy or milk or whatever like do you find yourself having to run to the bowl uh when i was a kid uh, yeah yeah of course when i was a kid i'd have cereal for breakfast every morning and i don't eat cereal for breakfast anymore but i'd have cereal with milk and i always that was just thought it was normal whenever i'd get to school i'd uh my stomach would be all tore up and i thought that just was the way life was <laughs> but then you learned years later that Jesus Christ, Mike. Well, You've got me talking about my bowel movements now. This, see, there's no hope for you, man. It's bound to happen. Yeah, but it's bound to happen eventually. Everybody, everybody has bowel movements. And now you're discussing it too. See, this is what happens. Everybody now, talks shit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> everybody talks shit is A1 right. We just Which lost you- our one listener. <laughs> oh, well. One, if, if we only have one listener, I'm going to be disappointed. Like I just I mean, said, we learn, all learn to live with disappointment. Well, that's a pretty big disappointment, honestly, unfortunately. Did you get a chance to uh, listen to the last episode at all? Like, have you? Uh, oh, yeah, I checked it out. I thought it turned out pretty well. I enjoyed it. Pretty well, yes. And you did a pretty good job editing, too. I only had a uh, few cringe moments uh, listening to myself. Believe me, I get the same way with myself. I can't stand to hear myself talk. I, I'd much well, that makes two of us. In my brain. <laughs> well, hey, uh, you're talking about listening to the last show. Uh, have you got any feedback on it from anybody? Well, it just so happens that we have something. Oh, yeah? And I'm intrigued. I, I debated um, whether or not we should even listen to it. Our old friend, John Rhodes... Ah, the Rhodes decided, King. Ugh. Yeah, the Rhodes King, all right. Has decided to send us a very overproduced voicemail. Voicemail, really? I thought people just sent clips anymore. Well, he de- decided to go the voicemail route, and he 
what he did was he put music behind himself talking. And I think he, like, opened a can of probably Mountain Dew, because I think that's what he drinks, you know, to simulate that he was, like, drinking some more manly beverage. I don't know. Well, hey, let's let's listen to it. Here is the, um, uh, well, he likes to think it's probably a clip, but it's really a bastardized clip. It's more of a voicemail that is way overproduced. But here it is. this podcast come to all right so mike you're a horrible host the opening is fucking awesome though glad to see you're actually doing a little bit of editing um still not great but hey if you're willing to pay i'm willing to help and for Cody. Cody, you're awesome. You're doing a good job. You really are. But, I have a complaint. You made a crack about millennials. Well, fuck you, Cody, because I'm a millennial. I think you're actually uh, a little upset about Generation Z and their ignorance and blah, blah, blah. But, nonetheless, you guys had to do an entire episode about Kevin Smith. And it's nice to know that Mike has finally joined me in the fuck Kevin Smith category. But you guys wanted to talk about it in depth, so I figured I would help. I would give my opinion. So here it is. I think he's slightly overrated. Now, allow me to elaborate. I don't like Clerks. I think it's amateurish and not that well done and honestly not that funny. In fact, I haven't ever been able to finish the entire thing. So, yeah. Um, but he has had a couple decent films. Small Rats is okay. Uh, Chase and Amy, probably his best work. Criminal that you guys didn't really discuss it at all because fucking fantastic film. Dogma's pretty good. Not gonna lie, you guys did a good job with that. Um, Clerks 2, pretty good, actually. I enjoy it. Funny, funny again. Uh, he made that Zack and Mir make a porno. Not bad, not bad at all. Cop Out, horrendous. Uh, Red State, saw it once, have absolutely no desire to see it again. I thought it was trash at the time. So, I'm going to go with that memory. <laughs> See, Tusk. You guys seem to really like Tusk. I can't fucking stand Tusk. I think it's so fucking stupid. I like, there's no semblance uh, of intelligence to it. Um, there may be factors to it that you find frightening, but it's fucking retarded. We'll, we'll move on. Yoga Hosiers. Um, yeah, you guys glanced over that too, so... I think that's enough said, but you guys did kind of sell me on the Jay and Silent Bob reboot because I think that's what he's good at. But, you know, he's made a couple good films. I won't lie. I think he was best when he was kind of telling more personal stories early on in his career, and he's kind of lost his way now. Um, Seems like he's just doing it for money and, you know, whatever. So, Mike, I'm glad you're on board with the... Fuck Kevin Smith. Now I just have to fully turn you around that 
Bruce Campbell is fucking amazing. Oh, oh, and you guys are welcome for the best produced segment on this entire fucking episode. <laughs> That's interesting. But really, who cares what he has to say at this point? Do I care? No. I mean, he tried to give Kevin his props just a little bit. But, uh... No. 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 Hey, and, uh... You know, I, I didn't mean to insinuate he was a millennial. Uh, if you go by the traditional description of a millennial, that then technically I'd be a millennial too, because it's like what people born from 1980 to 2000. Wait, so what am I? Because I was 79. So what? That's Gen X, right? Is it? I have, I have no idea. So, yeah, isn't that how it goes? The the boomers, Gen X, and then millennials, and then whatever they're calling the current generation. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I would like to refer to him as a shit annual. He's not a millennial. He's a shit annual. A shit annual. A shit annual. Like a shit demon. He is a shit annual. Shit, Daniel. Yes. Mike so talking shit is, again. He's yes. He's not Rhodes King. He's he's Rhodes, the shit Daniel. I like. Well, if he had a more open sexual orientation, he might even be a bi shit Daniel. Ah. Oh, you know what? I wonder. Maybe he is a bi shit Daniel. Hmm. Maybe we should call him up and ask him that question. Uh, I'm kind of curious. Yeah, good luck with that, buddy. Well, yeah, he really doesn't have time. What with his movie Misfits and all, that's finally going to be happening <clears throat> 20 years from now. But still, I digress. Please, please digress. I don't know what I digress to, but, uh, yeah. Poor Rhodes King. Well, oh, wait, no, he's not Rhodes King. He's Rhodes shit annual. Oh, my. I, I should I should um, tag him in a post on the group page tonight and have it be like, Hello, Rhodes shit annual. How are you today? Wonderful, get it. Probably not. Better be careful, Mike. I can see Rhodes driving all the way to your house, dragging you out and beating you until you're crippled. Well, <laughs> that's not going to... I'm not going to end up any worse for wear with that one. So, <laughs> bring it on, Rhodes. Shit, Ennial. 
Bring us more overproduced um, clips. Oh, voicemail. No, clips. That's right. He likes to. We'll just, uh, you know what? Every time he sends a clip in, we'll call it the Rhodes Shit Ennial Showcase. <laughs> oh, God. RSS. Ooh, the RSS feed. I like it. Oh, you put way too much thought into this, Mike. <laughs> and it's weird. That just popped into my brain and what? Wow. So that must mean that I'm smart. Probably smarter than he gives me credit for. Wow. Well, 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 Mike, come on now. <laughs> Whoa. I mean. Have you been drinking? <laughs> uh no, but I could start. I recommend it. <laughs> Maybe for the lounge segment later in the show. All right, but I guess we have um, Jack O'Halloran, a uh, famous boxer turned actor and now um, novelist or writer or whatever you want to call it. He will be joining us right after this. This is Bo from legionpodcasts.com. Hey, it's been a crazy time, and when the world gets nuts, we're happy to offer some old-fashioned podcast entertainment. But for some folks, getting a laugh out of a show isn't really helping these days. People who depend on tips in their bartending jobs or have been put on furlough with no pay till the worst of this coronavirus threat has passed. That's a tough spot. That's why we set up a GoFundMe for members of our community, a sort of grand-scale take-a-penny-leave-a-penny. For people like myself, for whom the recent disruptions haven't kicked us out of work, well, we can drop a few of those extra pennies in the GoFundMe jar for those who are directly affected by recent events and find themselves looking for money to pay the electric bill or keep the water on. Well, how about you give me a shout at bo, B-O, at legionpodcasts.com. Let me know the situation and what you need, and we'll do our best to make life a little easier. And you can find links to the GoFundMe on the front page of legionpodcasts.com, on our Facebook group page, or on Twitter at Legion Podcasts, where it's the pinned tweet. For those of you who are able, thanks in advance for chipping in. And members of our community who need a hand, hey, here we are. Remember, stay safe, stay healthy, and we're all going to get through this together. Legion isn't just a name, it's who we are. Thanks for listening to all the shows here on Legion Podcasts, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, welcome back to Rabbit and Red Radio. We have a very special guest with us tonight. He's a Hollywood legend who's worked with everyone from Robert Mitchum to Tom Hanks. He's the one, the only, the iconic Jack O'Holler. Hi, guys. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. So, Jack, what have you been up to, man? Uh, getting ready to... Um republish my book and uh published two other ones behind it and, oh uh, yeah family legacy right yeah 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 so we yeah. everybody's kind of excited about what we're doing we we got it set up to do the film and we're putting together a series that is going to be monstrous um because we're con we're, we're combining my book with charlie luciano's uh, last testament and uh we're going to tell a lot of truth about things that happened in the country. So it's going to be kind of good, you know. Time that people were told the truth about some things. 
everybody has all these conspiracy theories and all this stuff, and, and there remains to be a, a direct line of truth. So it's time that we did that. Amen. You know, people don't understand that in the very beginning, like 1900, you know, uh, government, industry, organized crime, and unions were all partners all the way up to the Kennedys in the 60s. And uh, then the government decided that they didn't need partners any longer. So they started turning on everybody. People were thrown under the bus and a lot of things were, a lot of theories were put out there that were totally untrue. And just, uh, you know, so the first book I wrote, Family Legacy, goes from my father's death, who was a pretty infamous man in New York, uh, to Kennedy's death. And we tell the truth about the Kennedy assassination. Oh really? So it sounds like uh, sounds like this uh, book is making some pretty bold statements. Then, well, they're not they're, they're truth. It's not just it's, yeah, it's making statements, but it's telling the truth about uh, what exactly happened, you know, and uh, why it happened. Yeah, well, and they told so many lies about it. I mean, the media covered things up so much. The whole the whole Lee Harvey Oswald thing is a total media forest. Lee Harvey Oswald never shot anybody. In fact, he yeah, wasn't yeah. even he wasn't even in the building, and there were 13 shots fired that day. And uh, you don't make anybody knows anything about weapons at all. Uh, what he was supposed to have shot Kennedy with was a bolt action rifle that he got through the mail order. If you're shooting a shot over a thousand feet with variables like the where Dealey Plaza wind and the car moving on a decline and signs and trees and all kinds of things. Um, you know, it takes uh, it takes a sniper, a very good sniper, 60 seconds to arrest his heart before he takes any shot and take in all the variables that are there because his finger has pulse on it, you know, on the trigger. So he's got to take his pulse down to 60 so that he has control over the trigger. And to take three shots in 28 seconds with a bolt-action rifle is totally hogwash. Oh, I agree completely. I mean, even even at a stationary target. Well, and you got to understand something that uh, when you see the Zabruder film, you see Kennedy's head blow out the back. If you were shooting him from the back, it would blow out the front, wouldn't it? And Absolutely. Kennedy was actually shot three times, and that's all been confirmed. You know, he was shot first in the throat, and I know who took that shot and where it came from. And then he was shot in the lower back, which nobody knows where that came from. And then the last shot that made him fly backwards came from the guy driving the car, Greer. So, you know, all the shots are accountable for. And there's a Bruder film in its total, without the eight seconds cut out of it, in the total is a Bruder film, it shows the driver turn and take the last shot. Oh, wow. They, you know, they, they fudged everything. They, I mean, you had the Bruder film was taken by a guy who never held a camera before who had suffered from vertigo. He had two women holding his legs, yet he never took his finger off the button the whole 28 seconds with all the shots being fired around them. And the film was sold to Life magazine for $150,000 before it was ever shot. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, and these are all things that are that are known. You know, this is all this stuff came out. Every 10 years, they come out with new stuff. And, you know, if you were going to ask the question of who would be one person that would be responsible for Jack Kennedy's death that day, it was his father. You know, father made a lot of enemies of people. 
They, Jack Kennedy, if you look at the medical history, would have not lived out his term. He was dying of Addison's disease very badly, which is a total deterioration of your spinal cord. They shot him up every day with doctors. And he had syphilis and two other diseases. So he wasn't going to live out. And his father would have rather seen him die the way he died than to die with a medical problem and put a mark on the family. And you may say, well, that's kind of cold. But if you think that's cold, then what did he do to his daughter who suffered from ADD and he lobotomized her and she sat in an institution all her life until she died looking out a window? Wow. And it's just amazing how the media buries all this and manipulates it. Well, the whole Warren Commission was garbage. You know, the whole the whole media put up about the one bullet theory. You know, the first guy that got shot was Conley. Conley fell down. Jack got shot from a, a shot that came from a cauldron in the street right on the right-hand side of the car, and he grabbed his throat and he fell forward. <clears throat> then the second the third shot hit him in his, in his lower back, second shot. Third shot was the driver when you see him shoot backwards. And then you see Jackie trying to climb out of the car. She, they say, oh, she was trying to collect his brains. That's garbage. She was. She thought they were killing her next. She tried to get away. And if you wow. watch this approved film, you'll see the Secret Service people peeled away from Jack's car before any of the shooting started. They all had to run back up to the car again. But it all happened in 28 seconds. So well, a lot of confusion. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You know, nobody really had time to think or react for that matter. Well, the, the cauldron on the side of the street was was huge. It was ran from the river to the street. They just cemented it in a few years ago because they were down there trying to do a documentary. And it was big enough for me to walk down. That's how much room was in there. Okay, Johnny so pretty Roselli, big. <laughs> Johnny Roselli from Chicago took the first shot that hit Kennedy in the throat. But that's all, all of it's, you know, that's documented truth about things that uh, nobody ever... It's been so mixed, convoluted by the media that it was a confusing situation for all these years. You asked, they said, like, who was the number? Who was the number one cop in the country when Kennedy died? Do you know? No, I sure don't. Everybody would say Hoover, right? Head of the FBI. Oh yeah, sure. But he wasn't. His brother yeah. Bobby was the Attorney General. And four people went to see Bobby before Jack went to down to Texas to tell him. And one of them was Adlai Stevenson. Do not let Jack Kennedy go to Texas because the animosity down there is horrendous. And Bobby yeah. Kennedy, who was his brother's second skin, everywhere he went in his political career, did not go before. He wasn't there during, and he never went afterwards to doubt. Yeah, I've actually traveled to the spot where Kennedy was assassinated at. I, I was a kid, but uh, yeah, I have been there, yeah. Well, the bird built, first of all, it took him six months to reroute. That down Dealey Plaza. Yeah. And the shot coming from the Bird Building. And here you have the President of the United States in an open car with all this animosity down there. And the people in the Bird Building walking around with the windows open, you know, and the hobos that came off the train that walked across the bridge that the car had to go under. And one of them was a hitter from New Orleans, was Woody Harrelson's father. Oh, wow. Woody's dad. Woody's dad was a, was a hitman for Carlos Marcellus. That is wild. <laughs> and nobody ever, you know, it's it just the whole the whole Warren Commission is total self-made man up, you know? Uh, you I can certainly up. say that I haven't read your book yet, but now I'm definitely going to. <laughs> well, it's all there. And I'm very much looking forward to uh, the film and the series. Well, it's going to be a great film. Yeah. And the series will be terrific. The series is going to be dynamite. Because we're going to tell a lot of things all the way back, all the how things opened up and what people don't understand is how 
how a lot of organized crime money in the very beginning went into the growth of the country. They created sure. jobs for people because their first initial business over here was gambling and loan sharking and extortion. If you didn't have money, how could you pay them? So they made sure you went to work. Yeah, sure. And then, then the labor unions even. Exactly. Belonged to, the, belonged to us, the labor unions, the waterfront, insurance companies. They, they, they invested in Sears and Roebuck. They invested in General Electric. You know, Meyer Lansky was a sharp guy. Sure. Do you plan on appearing any in uh, the film or the series? I don't know. We're, we're, we're trying to work that out. I, you know, I probably will knowing me, but um, I don't know. I'm going to produce it. That's for sure. I know your fans would sure love to see you again on the screen. Well, we're getting ready to do a great picture called Ballad of a Simple Man, which is a, a picture in Ireland, which originally was called The Informer and won four Oscars in the 30s. So John Ford directed it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Victor McLaughlin won the Oscar for leading actor for the first time a character actor did that. So we, we have a great script. And I wrote it like 40 years ago, and we're finally getting around to doing it. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to doing that real big time. It's going to well, be great. great. Yeah. So, so you're going to be filming that pretty soon then? Yeah, well, as soon as we're able to start moving around here and traveling, you know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> of course. I think everybody's ready to start moving around a little. <laughs> well, you know, we have we have a major project in Nevada. We're building a, a 4 million square foot studio over in Nevada. The industry is going to move to Nevada. And we're going to put for the first time everything under one roof for television and music and movies and streaming and every bit of technology and you know computer bases and all all the computer technology and we're putting a smart city next to it so it'll haul, handle 25,000 people who are going to employ there so people only have like 15 minutes to go to work instead of hours wow so just like one big multimedia center correct which is going to be great for the university over there and for the for the state of nevada and going to work out very well. Plus, we're building it out of industrial hemp, which is going to revolutionize construction business. That's pretty interesting. The book is great, and we're just getting ready to put it into six languages and do it, uh, and it's going to be great. It's going to, and uh, Jack, where can people find this book? It, it's on Amazon right now. You go to familylegacythenovel.com, and uh, there's a, the, the first book that we put out about 10 years ago is there. And it's a five-star read, but the, the, the this one that we're going to publish now is even going to be better yet. And then the second, third, and fourth are just going to be monsters. We're going to really unload a lot of stories and tell the truth about a lot of things. And do you already have uh, drafts written of the uh, third and fourth books? Yeah, we've got a lot of material put together that we know what we're going to do with it, yeah. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're going to be busy for some time then. Well, just uh, you got to keep your mind going to keep it sharp, you know. You get up to a certain age bracket, you, you just gotta, you gotta stay, you gotta stay thinking. You can't sit around and get idle. Yes, sir. Shifting gears a little bit, out of all the actors you've worked with, who who was your favorite? Oh, by far, Mitchum. Now, Mitchum and I became very, very close. And you know, when I did Farewell, My Love, it was the first movie I ever did. I kind of figured you were gonna say that but who doesn't he, love robert uh, Mitchell, right he, he was such an amazing actor and such an amazing individual probably one of the most well-read men i ever met in my life so charismatic too oh he was uh, he was incredible the guy was in, and he just he he if you had to have a mentor in the film industry that's the guy to have absolutely and he just he, he helped me tremendously i mean i i never took an acting lesson or anything of that nature he was my acting coach <laughs> yeah in fact I, I, one day I was walking out of Goldwyn Studios and we were working about 
I guess about four weeks on the film. And the editor who was an Oscar winner. He had his, his office was right by the gate. And he stopped me and he said, Jack, he said, uh, this is the first movie you've ever done. And I said, yeah, first one, first time up the bat. He said, well, I'm sitting here cutting this picture, young man. I got to tell you something. You're going to be a major star. And I said, really? Thank you. And I, and I went to Mitchum and I said, wow, man, maybe I should go to UCLA and take some elocution lessons or some acting lessons or something. And he laughed and he said, stick with me, kid, and you'll fart through silk. Don't worry about a thing. <laughs> he said, you're doing fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. And he uh, he taught me the technical aspects of what I needed to do. And and, and there's some things in, in the business you can't teach people. You either have it or you don't. It's a, it's a word called presence. Sure, sure. You have a, a presence on the screen that the camera wants to see and people want to see or you don't. Because not only do you have amazing screen presence, but you also, I've watched some of your old fights. You also have uh, had a pretty big uh, presence in the ring as well <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know I, I was I, I was supposed to play pro football and when I when I was in, in the days when I was playing you couldn't they didn't have what you call hardship cases you know you could yeah, not yeah. play until your class graduated from college in the pros so there was a lot of us that uh, went to school for a year or two and then dropped out and just so we played in a like a like a farm system. I was picked up by the Jets, and I played with it uh, on a team in Philadelphia called Tinicum, Tinicum AC. And Jimmy Christie and Dick Christie, who played for the Jets, uh, was a running back. Uh, we, we all played there until we were eligible to play. And then when I was eligible, Philadelphia had a great team, a lot of friends of mine playing down there. And uh, they had Jurgensen, McDonald, and a lot of great ballplayers. And I said to Eubank, I, I would like to go down to Philly to give a shot down there. And he said, yeah, no problem. But then they hired this guy, Joe Kuharik, as a coach, and a new owner, Jerry Wallman. And the guy traded a championship football team away in about two months. And, and that became very frustrating. And then Ali won the title. And I said to some friends of mine, you know, I can beat that guy. <laughs> they said, you know, that's a good idea. And they threw me in the gym, and there you go. You know? Yeah, yeah. I would have loved to have seen that fight. <laughs> well, we were signed four times. It just never happened. It just... Uh, and he was a good friend. I, you know, I kind of liked uh, Muhammad. Was was was, he was an incredible athlete. He'd have been a great athlete in whatever sport he chose to do. He was just a pure athlete. Yeah, and just that, just on charisma alone, he he oh, he, he, he really, really probably could have done whatever he wanted to. He copied that from George, uh, gorgeous George, the wrestler. Sure. <laughs> he got that. He got that whole persona. You know, they they told him that if you if you shoot your mouth off and stuff like that, you know, 50% of the people will come to see you lose. 50% will come to see you win, but they'll all come, you know, yeah. he revolutionized boxing. I mean, he took uh, people to make money in it and he changed it around. He was colorful. There's no doubt about that. Indeed. Indeed. Another question for you, as long as we're talking about boxing, we all know you've done battle with Superman, the man of steel and Superman two. Now, <laughs> since you were in the ring with George Foreman, I got to ask, was his head made of steel? Who, George? Yeah. <laughs> that was an interesting fight. You know, I uh, first of all, I, I didn't train as hard as I probably should have trained for it. And I don't use that as any excuses. I don't, I don't, I never put an excuse out for anything. But I, when I first started boxing, I was like 16 and 0. And they did a physical on me one day and they told me I had a disease called acromeglia, which is a tumor of the pituitary gland. And, and the doctor said, you shouldn't be fighting at all. He said, I don't know how you ever get in the ring. He said, because it causes deep depression. 
And I said, yeah, well, guess what? So it was my day job. I was involved in my father's business at night. And I, boxing was my day job. And I had to have a day job to keep the law away from it. If you know Philadelphia, well, you understand what I'm saying. When I fought George in the garden, the first few rounds of the fight, I was winning very easily. And, the, and he caught me a shot. And I got inside, I walked into a punch. My own fault. But I got up. And they stopped the fight right away. And that really irked me a bit. But, and he was kind of glad that they did. And he would never fight me again. George was a good guy. He was a good fighter. Tough kid. Could hit. Could punch like a mule. Uh, and it was a, you know, it was, it was an interesting fight. But I, you know, I, and I, the reason I backed into the fight was because in a few months before that, I, I had beaten the guy who was a number two ranked heavyweight, Daniel Ramos. I knocked him out in L.A. And then nobody would fight him. And then they made the foreman fight on a real quick deal. And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Boom, boom, boom. The fight in the garden and all, and, um, and it is what it is, you know. It's like when Norton, Norton and I were signed. I mean, Ali and I were signed to fight in San Diego when I was California heavyweight champion, and and he, um, Norton's people had a lot of money, and some money went to Chicago for Herbert Muhammad, and and Ali, Ali and I had already signed an agreement to fight in San Diego, and he, I mean, he called me on the phone and he was like in tears, saying, "Geez, you know, Jack, I'm really sorry, but you know, I had no control over this." But bang, so. He fought Norton instead, and then we were supposed to fight in Australia when he fought Bugner, and then we were supposed to fight another time, twice more. It was so you know we were always looking for scheduling dates and stuff. I had beaten the guy Alvin Blue Lewis, who went 13 rounds with Ali in Ireland, and then he came back and he beat Terrell and he beat a couple other heavyweights who were really good. They were looking for another Ali fight with him, and I went to Detroit and I beat him pretty bad. So they and I went to Ali's camp afterwards and I said. You know, it's time you and I got it on, Sunshine. And he said to me, Jack, he said, if I really give you a shot at the title, he said, are you really going to try and beat me? I said, let me tell you something. <laughs> For the very first time in my career, I will go to camp and I'll train like you do. And when you come in that ring, bring a gun with you. <laughs> and he said, two stakes, please. And he was a good guy. I, I really enjoyed oh, it. What, what could have been? What could have been? Who knows? You know, if, if you would have got that fight, you know, you could have been, you might have been the next heavyweight champ, and you may have never got to have the storied act, acting career you've had. That's true. You know, I tell you, when I started boxing in, in the 60s and I was up in Boston, Steve McQueen came there to do the Thomas Crown affair. And we looked after him to make sure he was okay. And he and I became really good friends. And, and he said, Man, come down on the set. We'll put you in the movie. He said, You got to come back to Hollywood, Jack. We'll have a ball. And, and I said, you know, uh, I don't think so. Man. I'm undefeated as a heavyweight. I got a pretty good career going for me. And, and I don't think I'm ready for this deal. And, and then and he kept saying to me, you got to come to Hollywood. He kept calling me on the phone. Man, you got to come out here. This is, you know, where you belong. And then in 1968, after I knocked out Matt Robbins, they came to me and offered me the Great White Hope with James Earl Jones, which was a big picture. And, and the deal was supposedly set. Some people from the East Coast thought I should get off the street, and they was taking me to Spain for six months. And I said, but I just knocked out the number two heavyweight in the world. You want me to leave when I have a chance to fight Ali? And uh, and I said, no. And they couldn't believe I said no. And I was leaving Fox, and James Earl Jones was coming up the steps, and he stopped me. And he said, Jack O'Hara. I said, James Earl Jones. He said, is it true what they said about you? I said, depends on what they're talking about. He said, you just <laughs> Hollywood to take the biggest movie, and it was the biggest movie at that time. And stick it. And I say, well, if you want to look at it that way, he said, I got to shake your hand. I never knew anybody did that. 
<laughs> we became pretty good friends after that. And, uh, and then McQueen got on the phone, plugging me more, and said, you know, God, he did a picture called Towering Inferno, and his name was Captain O'Halloran. And he called me on the phone. He said, how do you like your name up on the screen? He was. <laughs> and then when I retired from boxing, and uh, they came to me to do Farewell, My Lovely, and I said, you know, I think I'll give this a shot. So they took me to Hollywood, and I did a screen test, and Mitchum said it's either him or I don't do the movie. So I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. <laughs> well, that's not too bad a thing to blame on him, I don't guess. I mean, you you gave gave us a lot of interesting characters over the years, and and worked with just a who's who. Oh yeah, right. I've been very lucky. Hollywood royalty. Hackman and uh, did a couple pictures with Gene Hackman, and working with Brando was a trip. You know, and Terrence Stamp is a brilliant actor. You know, and I worked with Omar Sharif, and Jimmy Coburn, and yeah, Chuck Norris. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was about to ask. Didn't you work with Chuck too? Yeah. Yeah, we did wow. a picture called Hero in the Terror. Hero in the Terror. I yeah. saw that when it first came out. Man, you scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably one of the best movies he ever did, actually. That was a great movie. As an actor. Yeah. But just saying that the canon ran out of money and they didn't promote it properly. Well, with your career, it sounds, you know, you're talking about making a movie off your book. I'd love to see a movie made off just your life your your career uh, a lot of people say that you know yeah it, it the movie actually jack pagano the character in the book is me as a oh. young man. it's actually my life as a young man who, who would you want to pl uh, play you in a life story i don't know you know we're, i think we're going to find a uh, a newbie and make a star out of him you know i think we're going to find somebody uh there's two roles in that picture that uh, would make stars, and I think we've got our eyes on a couple people, and it's gonna it's gonna work because we have a lot of there's a lot of uh, cameo roles that a lot of very good actors will do to fill it out and stuff. It's gonna be a great movie. I'm very anxious to see what becomes of it. And uh, I got one more question for you, Jack, as we're winding down here. Um, you know, if you if you could give any advice to 20 year old Jack O'Halloran, what would it be? Keep your day job. <laughs> the acting business is a hard business. You know, it's not an easy business. You know, either, like I said, the camera either loves you or you have a presence on the screen or you work your heart out to, to work your way, claw your way through. But it's, uh, it's a very frustrating business for some people, you know. Uh, I was very fortunate. You know, the first thing I did, Farewell, My Lovely, I actually probably could have won supporting actor that year. If I had done what people do and Mitchum had made an arrangement for me to meet uh, Johnny Carson at the Polo Lounge and, and I went to see Johnny Carson. We sat down and, and he said to me, you know, you do my show and, and I will pro I promise you I'll get you nominated for supporting actors. And I said to him, I looked down, we sat and chatted a little bit and I said, but your show is live, isn't it? And he said, yeah. And I said, I don't think I can do it. He said, why? I said, because. I'll walk out on the stage, he'll ask me about my father, and I'll ask you where the men's room's at. He said, you would get up and leave? I said, yeah, I don't talk about my father. I don't want anybody else talking about him. And uh, he said, well, well, we'll arrange the questions that, that we ask you and stuff. And I said, John, no disrespect, but you know, you're the biggest reporter there is in television today, and you have Albert Anastasia's son sitting on your set, and you're not going to ask me about my father? I said, you know, I didn't fall off a turnip truck. I said, I, I appreciate the offer. And then Mitchum yelled at me like crazy. What is wrong? With <laughs> he said, Jack, it's Hollywood. People don't, they love that stuff. Eat it up. What's the matter with you? 
and I just uh, I had just come off the street, so it was one of the first mistakes I ever made. It was a dumb mistake because yeah, the pictures are stuck to your guns. Pictures a great movie. I don't know if you ever seen it, but it's 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 a good movie. Very well, my love. You and Mitchum in it. I mean, can't go wrong there. Well, it had a great cast: Harry Dean Stanton, John Ireland, Charlotte Rampling. It was a uh, it was an Anthony Zerby. It was a good. It was a great cast. The, 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 and it worked. It, the music was brilliant, and uh, it had four Oscar winners on the crew. Dean Televeris won the Oscar for the set designs of The Godfather, and John Alonzo was the cinematographer for Chinatown, and the makeup guy was an, an Oscar winner. The, the editor was a, an Oscar winner. So, had a hell of a crew because of Mitchum. They all came to work because of Mitchum. He was just one of them. Those guys that you could just pull people in. Well, he was like, you know, he was like that. Brando was like that. You know, Omar and, and Coburn were like that. You know, uh, Brando was, was amazing. I, I loved Marlon. Marlon and I became good friends. I, I liked Marlon. And he was a New York guy. He knew my father. He knew a lot about me. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, like I said, I, I want to see I want to see your life story on screen. I'll tell you a picture. You ever see Dragnet? Oh, absolutely. Dragnet was a good flick, boy. That was a Danny. You could watch, you know, you could watch Dragnet fifty times, and you still wouldn't get all the one-liners that Danny spit out. Oh my goodness, Ackroyd! You know, he just had so many one-liners in that movie. It was it was a mind blower. I just, I shook my head. I used to laugh. We had a lot of fun doing it. Oh yeah, you could you could tell it. You could tell it by watching it. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those movies like Cannonball Run. You knew the cast was just having a blast making it. Yeah, and it was Tom Hanks' breakout movie. You know. Oh, it, it all worked out very well, actually. Thank you. So, how, how was Tom? I mean, is he the, is he really that funny in real life? Yeah, Tom's a nice guy. He really is a nice guy. Tom Hanks is a he's a fine actor and he's a, he's a nice guy. And yeah, he's a funny guy. But nobody was funnier than Ackroyd. Ackroyd was a trip. With the technology today, this hologram technology really worked. I have an amazing storyline. To bring Christopher back. And, oh, yeah, for uh, the sequel to Superman 2? Yeah, well, we're going to bring Christopher back, and, and we have a great storyline to bring the three villains out of jail. And uh, we turn their thinking caps around, and, and they become cohorts of Superman. Uh, and that'd be great to see Non back on the screen again. Yeah, yeah. it's going to work out pretty good, actually. It's, we have a great – we're just waiting uh, for the smoke to settle because AT&T just bought Warner Brothers, so – we need to get a license from them. We're just waiting for things to settle down. And with this, this hologram technology is brilliant. And yeah, it's real- amazing what they're doing with it now. Yeah. And you brought Christopher back and we did Superman, a Superman movie, the way we did the first two with that all American way. And, you know, not having Superman run around killing people and stuff. It, it would be. Yeah. Uh, what, would what's be your take on the new, what's your take on the newer crop of. Oh, they get darker film. and darker. I just, you know, just shake my head. They, yeah, they especially the DC ones. The Mar- Marvel, I mean, Marvel, they, I mean, they get pretty serious tone. But DC, I mean, it seems like with their movies, they're one extreme or the other. You know, they're they're all trying to come up with a gimmick to beat the other guy, and they're getting killed by Marvel. Exactly. So they, exactly. So if they they use their head and sit down and listen to us, and we bring this series back the way we want to bring it back, uh, it could be a a game changer. Do you think Donner would get involved again? I had talked to him about it, and I think that if we had the whole proposal all put together, yeah, I think he would. Yeah, because I know, I know he's still wanting to get Lethal Weapon Five off the ground. Yeah, he it does. Looks like that might happen. He does the, uh, you know, he's uh, he still does the comic books for Superman. 
know, yeah, that's dedication. Love, <laughs> he loved Superman. He loved it. I mean, the Soul Kinds made the worst mistake in the world when they fired him off of that picture because, and I blame Christopher because Christopher should have stood up and said, "No Donner, no me." Yeah, because yeah. he he was already established by that point, so he oh, had yeah. probably oh, had yeah. to do that. Oh, absolutely. You know, all he would have had to do was stand up, but he was. He was naive. He was young. It was the first big movie he ever really did. And we had done Superman 1 and 2 together. I don't know, have you ever seen the Donner's cut? I have I not. Have oh, you've got to watch the Donner cut. You really do. You go out of your way to, to watch it. The Donner cut is so much better than the, the Lester cut. And it's just sad that he didn't have the ability to finish it the way he wanted to. Yeah, still, still ended up being a great film, though, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it was. No, he couldn't help it because... the. Dick had already shot 86% of it. You know? Yeah. And not to mention the great cast, you know, oh, it, great, great script, you know. It. Yeah. No, no, no. The components are, it was all, you know, it just worked. The chemistry was great. Like I said, you know, Terrence is a great actor. Sarah was a great actress, you know, and uh, working with them was, a, was, a, was a lot of fun. And they, and when they came to me and asked me, how do I mind doing this mute character? And I said, uh, you know, Jackie Gleason was a good friend of mine. He did a picture called Gigo, and he won an Oscar for it. And I said, if I ever had an opportunity to do a character like that, that I had to use facial and body expression, I would embrace it. And then when I read the script, and, you know, Terrence was a, was a vicious general. Sarah was a man-eater. Somebody had to relate to the kids. So I took this brutish, brutish guy, and I played him like a child. You know, learning how to work my eyes and stuff, and and it worked out pretty good. Oh, absolutely. We had a lot of fun with it, actually. Yeah, well, I think everybody had a lot of fun with that movie. Yeah, I, they did. <laughs> they still do. Forty-odd years later, they still do. Yeah, it still holds up. Well, we broke a lot of technology rules when we made that picture. We uh, we, we shot VistaVision on VistaVision, so when you see us flying around under bridges and around buildings and stuff, and the fight scene up in the air, and it was done without wire. Yeah, and that's why it still holds up. I yeah. mean, we shot Vista Vision on Vista Vision. It was long and tedious, and uh, but it worked really well. Yeah, it it definitely was one of the first films to define the uh, blockbuster action blockbuster. Yeah, you're right. It was. Well, enjoyed doing it too. Well, I had a lot of fun with it. I can't thank you. We can't thank you enough for talking to us tonight. It's been a true honor. My pleasure, for sure. I mean, uh, I hope your hope your audience likes what we say. And, you know, read the book; you'll like it. You'll enjoy it. Oh yeah. And uh, Jack, where else can uh, where else can people find you uh, on Facebook, Twitter, anything like that? Oh yeah, you just I'm, I'm all over the place. Just Google me. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you heard it, everybody. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot, Jack. Hey, it's my pleasure, guys. Thank you. Have a great day. You You too. too. Take care. Doms and subs, masters, mistresses and slaves, owners and pets, daddies, mommies and littles, primals and prey, switches, heathens, kinksters and deviants. Welcome to Legion After Dark.
Legion After Dark is a movie review podcast with a kinky twist. I'm your host, Lady M, and every episode I'll be reviewing a movie with a BDSM or kink theme. I'll also be talking about books, sex toys, bondage equipment, all the fun things that make life grand. I'll be featuring a different kink each episode, and I'll even give you a song to sing to. So join us on Legion After Dark, coming soon to Legion Podcast Network. Rabbit in Red Mound, where all your dreams come true. Well, this, this is the show, Rob. This is the show. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the show. This is, we watched Mike fumble with his iPhone for an hour. Yeah, Rob, Mike, are you both familiar with each other's work? I think so, only because I remember hearing about you back from Skeleton Crew. <laughs> I was waiting. Um, but banana laser, banana laser. This is the infamous Father Mahoney. Okay, so this. Okay, yeah, that's 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 what I remember. Mahoney yeah. Gate. Mahoney that's Gate. What I remember. Okay, yeah, that's it. That's what I remember. That I vaguely remember it because it's been so long ago. But yeah, I I, I kind of remember. It. I've come I've come a long way from that delusional state I used to be in. <laughs> oh. I think a lot of us had delusions back in that state. Um, hey, it was never a dull moment, though. No, no. God, no. No, I, I remember those. Uh, actually, I remember them very fondly. I do. Oh yeah, yeah, it was great. But uh, and you know it, it was all lighthearted. And yeah. Fun, but well, Co- Cosmic Creeper said it best. It was all a big misunderstanding. Oh, yeah, when he did the rap song, uh, yeah. When he did the Mahoney song. What do you guys think about the new Texas Chainsaw reboot? Talking about the, the one that hasn't been released yet? Are you talking about the Leatherface one from the UK? No, no, the one, the one they haven't released yet. The one that hasn't even... It was supposed to start filming, I think, but the Corona put it off. Uh, yeah. God, who is it, Mike, that's attached to that? Uh, who's directing um. it? I don't know who's direct. I know Fede um, Alvarez who did the Fede Alvarez is producing it. Okay, he's executive producer. That's what I, that's who was attached to it that I, yeah. I was thinking of. I, I just hope they do it justice. That's all. I hope. Fingers crossed. See, I don't, I don't know though, and I wonder because it's like it seems like they're going to do a Halloween 2018 with it, and just. Like um, I know, like do a direct sequel to the original. Ignore the. Uh, sequels which i mean okay it's fine but do we really want movies to start ripping off of like the trend of of just you know ignoring sequels and just starting like that why not just do some sort of a um i don't know a fresh story on it i don't it's just well my, know, it my seems... on halloween is um they shouldn't have ever got rid of halloween too i agree 
one hundred percent. Yeah, just picked 100%. up picked up Halloween twenty eighteen after Halloween two. Yeah, why not? You know, I I even say they should have kept all the uh, sequels after that because I love six. Six is one of my favorite. Uh, you and Mike, uh, you and Michael J are going to get along just fine. Six is brilliant. Is brilliant. It is brilliant. Um, I'm, I'm just film of sad all time. that Jamie Lee. I mean, I think it's more more Jamie Lee wanted to make it all about her. And I'm not dissing her. She's a, she's a fantastic actress, but I think they should have definitely kept everything up for six. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, and I definitely liked her portrayal in 2018 more so than I did in in H2O because in H2O she just seemed like she was this. You know the cliched survivor, PTSD, you know, yeah, yeah. with alcoholic PTSD, stuff. Yeah. It's like, do you really yeah. need that? Damn, alcoholic. We've seen it before, right? We've seen it before. Yeah, I know. I I agree with your analogy on that because I was thinking to myself, like, uh, that kind of experience would have made me stronger, not weaker. And she seemed weaker almost to me. I agree. Right? No, she definitely did. Speaking of that, what do you? Th- what are some of your like memorable horror viewing experiences? The first time that you saw something that maybe really yeah yeah really affected you and you know right. I would probably say, uh, and this is going to sound really, I would say Scream, um, and only because of the fact that around that time horror movies were starting to kind of like die off or they were becoming too yeah cliche. slashers had played out. And when Scream came out, it was like almost like an exciting time. I, I love the kind of like the mock where they were talking about the rules of surviving a horror movie and yeah, the whole meta approach to it, which it, I love, the same reason I I, love, I, uh, I enjoy Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yes, no, I love New I love New Nightmare too. I I, I, was, I went to see that at the theater and I was totally blown away by by the performances. Like Heather Langenkamp, that was her best performance. Yeah, I thought she was good in it. I thought English, England was good in it. All the throwbacks to the original. Great and it, was, it was actually kind of cool seeing Robert England um, out of character playing himself being victimized by the, the Nightmares of Freddy 2. Definitely. Definitely. Well, you know what? Now, tell me what you guys think on this. Do you think New Nightmare, which, you know, it came, what, 94, right, Mike? Uh, yeah, 94. It uh, came two years before Scream. Do you think if it would have, and it, it didn't do that well at the box office, do you think if it would have come out after Scream, a couple years after Scream, that it would have been a lot bigger hit? Because Wes Craven was big again. It, that really jump started his career again with Scream and the whole meta approach to the horror genre. I think it would have made a world of difference. I mean, it's definitely possible. Yeah, I, I say it's possible. Too. I mean, I don't know though, but Cody, you're one, you like New Nightmare? Uh, I adore New Nightmare. It's, okay, uh, good. it's like in my top three. Good. And, and who three is the it, series. Who is it, Alex, that does not like New Nightmare? Is that correct? A lot of people don't. I just can't see it. I, I watched it recently even. And I mean, it shows its age a little with the right. whole 90s. But that being said, I see all these themes from Scream in it, you know, before Scream. It's just so original. It's, it was a pioneer for Christ. Exactly. Exactly. And was the, the conclusion is kind of wonky, but still, I'll I'll buy it. No, I agree. I think it's top, I think it's top three also. Top top three nightmare f- films. What are they then? Oh God. Um, uh, Rob, you go first. I have to think on this for a second. I always have to go back to the first one being my favorite because it's, it's frightening. It's something new that that, that hadn't been uh, tried before. Being 
terrorizing us, though. Um, I would definitely say the, my favorite is I, I, I know I'm doing this and we're supposed to go three, two, one, but number three would definitely be a New Nightmare, and number two would be uh, Dream Warriors. Mm-hmm. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, Timber. You, you shocked him, Rob. You shocked him. <laughs> Um, he heard. He heard <laughs> nightmares. Like, oh shit. <laughs> okay, let's see. I'm. I'm kind of. Oh shit. That almost came up with something else. Um. Okay. I'm kind of in the same realm here. <laughs> I think. Um. Same order. Different. All right. I agree with you. Definitely, that one is probably the best. Basically, I mean, that's the original. It's the first one I saw. It is what it is. And and I definitely. Crap out of me, honestly. The first oh one. no! When I first saw that, when I was five years old, it was the first horror movie I ever saw. I couldn't sleep for a week after I saw that fucking. Yeah. So yeah, it 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 terrified me. But um, yeah. So I would have to go with the first one, uh, then Dream Warriors, and uh, I like Dream Master a lot, and that might be the nostalgia factor for me. I really I like that one a lot, and that gets hate too. You know, it does. Um, but I I like uh, I like uh, Dream Master. Dream Master, I don't hate it like every, like a lot of people hate it. I mean, it, I can watch any any of the films in the Nightmares series. Well, it's kind of near and dear to me because that's the first slasher, 80 slasher franchise that I really got into and watched consecutively. I enjoy them all for different reasons. I mean, top three, I got to do number part three is number three, then New Nightmare, and then number one, of course, is the original. So we're all in the same ball. Well, no, no, no. Let me scratch that. Not the original. I meant, I meant to say the uh, remake. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh no. Just kidding. No, no, oh, no. God, no. It's, Please. I- I'll watch any of the original seven before I watch the remake. I try. Centennial. Oh no. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> That's like putting Troll Two in your top ten movies. Oh my God. Troll Two, I can enjoy more I than watching it, the, the A Nightmare on Elm Street remake. People say it's not that bad, though. And these same people want to bash the Friday the 13th remake. I'm like, what? <laughs> I love Jackie Earl Haley. He is one of my favorite actors. But yeah, remake, uh, just the pacing. The acting was not terrible. It was just lousy well, no, strip, lousy Fre- execution. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I was all on well, board. one-liners. Holy shit. I mean, come on. Yeah. I, I was all on board for him to take over the role. I wouldn't like a lot of people say, saying nobody else but Robert England can play Freddy Krueger. I'm like, give it time, you know. It's just like the Universal Monsters. Eventually, it'll have to be handed off to somebody else. I think it was just a little too soon, and it was just a little too shitty a script. I like Jackie Earl Haley. Uh, you know, I go back to the Bad News Bears with him. I grew up with Jackie Earl Haley. When I heard that he was being cast, I was like, I was hopeful. But I was also one of those people that said, why isn't Robert England? But I was like, okay, give it a chance, give it a chance. And I went to see it, and I agree with the pacing was terrible. His voice was terrible. Well, the like, voice was- argumentation, I would have rather just heard him. He's such a talented actor anyway. I would have just rather heard his take on the Freddy voice, you know. Yeah, I agree. But all that, I mean, you could tell it was augmented. It didn't even sound natural. The shitty CGI. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I'm a practical I mean, Guy, I, I don't like CGI at all. I got, I got to admit, I probably went in with too high of expectations. I mean, come on, guys. New Line Cinema is the house that they call it the house that Freddie built. You know, I expected them to 
blow me out of the water with a remake on the film that basically launched their production company. I just can't give props to the Nightmare remake, and but I will give props to the Friday remake. I mean, that was not a perfect film. I was going to bring it up because uh, when they did the remake for Friday the 13th, and then they did the remake for Texas Chainsaw, I thought Texas Chainsaw remake was pretty good. I was hopeful when they, uh, so far, two for two. And I thought maybe Nightmare was the next one, and it just wasn't. No, but we got that with a lot of the remakes. I'm, I'm actually more excited now that they're doing a bunch of reboots, doing yeah. direct sequels. You know, why not start again? You know, it's most of these franchises, it's been 30 years since we've got a sequel. So, you know, why not? Yeah, right. I don't know. I just think it's going to get tired after a while if you keep doing it. Oh, yeah, just like over the remakes, you know, that right. it, the the studios will keep doing it as long as it's making money. Yep. And then they'll move on to something else. Right, and that's that's that. But, you know, that's just ugh, how it works, I guess. Yeah, it's all about the money. Well, yeah. mostly about the money. You know. Well, like that, with the new uh, Candyman coming out, too, so I'm interested to see how they uh, treat Candyman. Yeah, Jordan Pill producing it, I mean... That's the thing. They throw these guys' names on. Jordan Pill, executive producing, you know. That doesn't mean a lot to me. I mean, right. uh, That's a lot of times. That's just a position in a yeah, sense. They like, just, he's not even they, directing it or writing it or anything you know, like that. I don't think. Like Eli Roth produced. They just, it's like a lot of these guys, I know they just pay them to put their names, you know, put them on a producer slot. Just like just like a lot of like Indiegogo campaigns and Kickstarters, you know. That's a tier. You can pay to get put on as an executive producer, you know, just to put in the credits, you know. You don't actually have any control over the finished product. Which, exactly. I mean, I'm sure it's different, you know, in major studio films, but a lot of them probably just take a big chunk of money just to have their, you know, say, uh, to be attached to it. Yep, I agree. Right. But, I mean, speaking of studios, you know, we might as well get into our main topic. What do you guys think? Are theaters going to be a thing of the past pretty soon? Or uh, are they just going to be uh, like a thing like people collecting vinyl records are you know are they here to stay they're gone okay as much as i like to say that they'll stay because like i i don't want them to go but realistically i think because of this whole corona and i think it's going to change people's perspectives on getting too close to everybody now i think eventually that the days are going to get hit so hard that they're just not going to be able to keep going I agree. You know, and I hope they bounce back out of this. And I mean, because people are always going to want to uh, go on dates at movie theaters, take the family out. You know, they, they talk about people, you know, just so much more. It's a hassle to take kids. But for me, it was always, you know, I relish uh, anytime I get to take uh, my daughter see a movie, just me and her sit down, just the whole experience of it. So, I mean, I hope she grows up to want to do the same thing with her kids. Well, I hear they're talking about um, they're trying to do drive-in theaters again. We uh, have a uh, drive-in theater uh, that I go to pretty regularly that, oh, about an hour from me. Um, wow. But they've been in the business, they've been in business, I think, since the 50s under wow. different owners, but they've never shut down. But, I mean, they're in old school and they got a playground for the kids and the, and the uh, shack where they uh, serve hamburgers and hot dogs and pizzas. And, I mean, the food's really cheap there. It's just a really awesome place. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like a time capsule when you go in there because everything's just exactly, or almost exactly like it was uh, 50 years ago. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's neat, actually. I like that idea. But yeah, uh, anybody in southeast Missouri, check it out. It's uh, uh, 21drivein.com. You can find them on uh, Facebook or 
Just Google it. See, but what gets me, though, too, is, is now when they reopen, do you think they're going to lower prices any? I mean, I don't think they're going to be able to do that. No, I don't think they will. Mike, they only they, they show a double feature every Friday and Saturday night. Oh, you're driving? Right. Driving? Yeah, every Friday and Saturday night. They're not open year-round. They open like in, uh, in usually open, I think, in May and run till the end of September, early October. They'll show a double feature of two new movies every Friday and Saturday night, and it's five dollars a person for both movies oh shit that's great it's great and they still have the the radios that you know on the post the speakers on the post where oh, you can hang them in your shit. they also broadcast it too so you can turn it on your car stereo like a lot of the um, oh, i want to go there right now it's uh <laughs> pretty awesome uh i have to do a commentary from there sometime it gets better mike better on thursday night they'll show uh which sucks because i have to be at work super early so i don't ever get to go to the thursday night show because it's an hour away from my house but they play a classic 80s movie every thursday night there they've done Style. dirty dancing princess bride they've done jaws and i didn't get to see jaws which last uh, summer that breaks my heart hopefully they'll play it again I'll just go with I that. Thought you're say it was, well, I thought you were going to say it was like a Donald Double feature or something on Thursday night. I, I so wanted to take my daughter, my oldest daughter, to see Jaws. <laughs> but it was on a school night, so that didn't happen. When I used to live in uh, Ohio for a couple of years, we had a, a small local cinema that every September and October, every Saturday night, they'd play an old classic 80s horror movie. I got to see uh, Creep Show. I got to see uh, Friday the 13th original. Mm-hmm. And I got to see pieces. So if you remember that one, pieces. Oh, yeah. oh shit, that was great. Seeing pieces, all that blood on the screen. Were they? Do you know if they were like thirty-five millimeter prints or were they just digital? Um, the thirty. Uh, the pieces was thirty-five millimeter, and oh, Friday the Thirteenth was about thirty-five millimeter. Oh, uh, creep show. Creep show was on uh, VHS projector type thing. Uh, but That's creep show, so we also had one of the special effects guys. They used to work with uh, Romero in, in uh, answering questions for us. Damn, you guys so. get all the cool events. What the fuck? And I get nothing here. Oh. Fucking Philadelphia sucks. Hey, uh, Mike. Don't, yeah, don't you get the? Uh, you, wait a minute. You got a, you got a 4D theater, don't you? That does the 4D events, oh, right? Yeah, fuck 4D. I mean, no, 4D is nice. I shouldn't say that. It's nice, but. I want to see Friday the 13th. Come on, come on. I think I heard you talking about going to see Rise of Skywalker and you got like Kylo Ren splooge on your face or something. Okay, yeah, that was amazing. I'll give you that. I want Friday the 13th and 35 millimeter and pieces in 35 millimeter. And I want to see Jaws on a bigger screen. Camp was being shown in 35 millimeter, and I missed it. Oh, okay. You're dying over there. Okay. I know you want that. You missed Sleepaway Camp in 35 millimeter. I missed back in February. Uh, I would have had to drive about four hours to see it, but they had the Fayetteville Comic Con and they had the cast of Sleepaway Camp there. Felissa, Felissa Rose, Jonathan Tierston, um, uh, Judy, Judy, who played Judy? Um, Karen Fields. Karen Fields. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, they had all them and part of the package. And it wasn't bad. It was like $100 for the package where you got to meet them and get the signed autograph. And then that night, uh, sit down and watch a 35-millimeter print of Sleepaway Camp with the cast and have a QA and a afterwards. Oh, uh, no, not nice, because like a <laughs> month before it, uh, a month before it, they, uh, I don't know if it was a scheduling conflict or what, but they uh, they eliminated the uh, movie showing. Oh, oh boy. So I'm like, I'm not going to drive four hours to go wait in line for three hours to get an autograph. Yeah, I was very much looking forward to that. I have a picture of, of um, the name is escaping me. The one that plays um, 
Meg. Meg and, was on the Young and the Restless. Um, yeah, and um, and Felicia Rose in full costume and that Sweet Boy Camp costume. I have a picture with that. That's awesome. Um, and, and I have a picture with Bruce Campbell, which is like, I'm never gonna forget Bruce Campbell. No, well, you you and uh, you and John Rhodes will get along great then. Yeah, the shit annuals. <laughs> this was uh, from earlier in the show, Rob. Oh, yeah, earlier in the show. You'll 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 get it. And you'll yeah, you'll hear it on the next episode. Me. You'll understand nice. this shit, and you'll enjoy him. No, but was Bruce actually like nice? Did he actually talk to you, or did, was he like, here, get the fuck out of my face? Here, get the fuck out of my face? Here, get the fuck out of my face? A little bit of both, because he had oh. a line. Of, he had a line of about four hundred people waiting to take pictures with him. Oh, so, fuck him. Yeah, I, I got to the front of the line. And this lady's like. As soon as you walk in, Bruce will tell you what to do. <laughs> and I, I'm like walking in, and I, I, I started panicking. I'm like, oh, my God, it's Bruce fucking Campbell. <laughs> so he looks at me and says, hey, how you doing? I was like, here he goes, look cool now. <laughs> so I look cool. <laughs> he goes, next. <laughs> oh, my God. But just for him how to say, look cool, I was like, okay. It, it sounded like a one-liner. I was like, something up to you, you like, what? Look cool. What did he charge? Uh, 50 bucks. Yeah, not terrible. Yeah, that's still better than Nev Campbell, thank God. <laughs> How much did Nev Campbell? Nev Campbell was fucking $100 for a picture and an autograph. And it was like a 30-second experience. And it sucked because it was like a fucking conveyor belt. Like, you just go to people and they give you the picture and all that stuff. And she just says hi to you and I say hi and then... Do you have anything you want me to write, like for a quote? No, that's okay. So I think she just wrote, "What's your favorite <laughs> scary movie?" And um, that was what I got. And then wow. we stood up, and I stood next to her, and we took the picture, and then that was it. And it was like a hundred bucks for that. I'm like, I had true buyer's remorse after that. Really <laughs> I was like, Well, my oh, my commitment. I got a kiss from um, from Felicia Rose. She mm. is such I, a sweetheart. She really is. I, and I she got a picture from Adrian, uh, Adrian King, too. Yeah, you know, I've, I've never it's seen... It's funny, the Friday, the, my Friday the 13th group, the one that you know started all the uh, banana laser stuff. We have a lot of alumni in that group. And Adrian, I've known Adrian King online for like 10 years, so when she finally met me, it was like, finally! And she like runs up to me and gives me a kiss. Oh, that was cool. I've never seen her personally. I think I think she was on one of the earlier Rabbit and Reds. She might have been on in 2010 or 2011, and she was really she was really nice from what I can remember. Uh, you guys uh, are lucky because you both get conventions close to you. Like I said, the closest thing I've ever got to me here in the Midwest is I would have had to drive four hours to go to, and then there really wasn't much there to see. Uh, what was the second part of the uh, topic? With if we thought digital on demand was going to replace theaters and if theaters were going to go away. But, yeah, uh, well, I still think that, di- I mean, I still think digital probably will end up overtaking it at some point only because it's 20 bucks for a premium video on demand title, which is what like the invisible man was and the hunt was. And I mean, if you go to a movie theater, you know, you're paying 20 just for the ticket in most cases, at least around here. It's like seven bucks here. Oh but- my God. Where do you live, Cody? I need to move there. <laughs> hey, uh, are you familiar oh, with shit. the corner of Bumfuck and you got a pretty mouth? Right around the corner. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All right, well, there we go. You got a pretty it's, mouth uh, there. Oh, but, my God. Uh, yeah, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, but still, by the time you pay seven bucks for a ticket, pay yeah. and then you pay friggin' twenty dollars for popcorn, a bit large popcorn and two sodas. You know, it still kind of balances out. I mean, it, yeah, it does. And considering, I think when we went to see Rise and Scott, Rise of Skywalker, I went with my brother, and I think for two tickets, just for the tickets, it was like fifty bucks for the two tickets, and that's just tickets. You add fucking popcorn onto that, which I got to get my popcorn. Because they had the commemorative Star Wars Star Wars bucket, so I had to get that. And I think we ended up spending over a hundred that night. If theaters do become a niche thing, like vinyl records, oh, right they're going to raise the flag. Like, oh. Yeah, it'll go through the roof, and that's going to suck. And they're going to fail anyway. It's about twelve bucks around where I live. I I got popcorn and drink for twelve dollars. Twelve dollars, twelve dollars, covers what you would do on the on demand. Yeah, yeah, and we don't even have any IMAX or anything within close driving distance around here either. That's just, well, uh, uh, they have a couple of 3D uh, screens, but that's about the extent of it. Yeah, theaters might bounce back. We may be way off base, you know, they may make it I mean, I hope, I hope they do, but I, I don't see how they could right now with the, with the economy the way it is. Even then when the, the economy goes back to normal, People are going to be playing catch up from all the all the bills that they missed, all the doctor's appointments they missed. I don't think people have time to worry about movie theaters in the beginning. Yeah, and plus everything's pushed back until you know until or major stuff is at least now pushed back until 2021 anyway at this point. So you still have to wait a year for. Yeah, because they're um, not going to chance releasing it now or releasing it even when the theaters first open. They're not going to take a chance releasing it then and taking a huge loss. You know. Right, unless yeah. you're an indie company and you're releasing a movie um, starring Russell Crowe. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not going to you know really make much of an impact, I don't think. It's just like I'm prepared to watch Halloween Kills at home come October because that's what I think is going to happen. I hope so. I hope we have that option to watch it at home. Yeah, if possible, I'll go to the drive-in to see it. I have to go to Missouri just for that. I hope it's better than Halloween 2018, though. I like Jamie Lee in 2018, but some of the storyline was hard for me. Like the guys who went to the guy and the girl who went to visit Michael in the beginning, I didn't like that. Yeah, I didn't. It was it was a little over the top, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't bit. like the the doctor. I didn't. I, no. Yeah, the whole doctor uh, where he like kills, and I'm like, oh yeah, Turkish Loomis. Yeah. yeah, no, no, fuck him. him. But uh, I do love that they paid homage to uh, Halloween 3, though, with the uh, with the masks. They had a lot of nice little nods in it. Yeah. Uh, Shamrock mask, I love that. That was great. Yeah, it, it definitely catered towards the fans. I really enjoyed the movie, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I thought some of the dialogue was really clunky. I hope this next one is a little bit more well thought out. The way they're talking, this one's going to be a lot faster paced. But I guess we'll see. Hope for the best. Personally, I... At this point, I'm just glad we're uh, we're getting another Halloween movie. Yeah, I agree. You know, when we're not getting... That's the only one of the big three we're getting any sequels or reboots of right now. Yeah, at this yeah. point. So, yeah. What I want to know, why hasn't New Line jumped on this reboot fad, you know? I well, mean, we obviously know why Friday the 13th is stuck in limbo still. But why, New Line, I mean, they're free and clear with the rights to... Uh, Nightmare, the Nightmare series. I mean, what? Why not cash in on it now? Yeah, I don't know. I wonder. Especially I when really the said that he's got one more Friday Thirteenth in him. Yeah, I mean, or Friday Thirteenth. <laughs> oh, you touched <laughs> late. Uh, <laughs> one more Nightmare on Elm Street. 
But why not? That's like Kane Harder saying he has one more nightmare than one else you him. Thank you, Rob. What I meant to say was they he has one more Freddy versus Jason in him. You know, you know, one more right there, you know, crossover. And I'd love to see him do another Freddy versus Jason. I'm not a big Freddy versus Jason. You know, it's funny, you mentioned that. I I was so disappointed in that the first time I saw it at the theater. I went on Open the night, and then I went back the next night with a big group of friends and watched it, and it was a completely different experience the second time I watched it. That second view, just, I really enjoyed it. And, I might uh, be grateful that they didn't take Potter. I was, that was my main, the most off-putting thing for me, that, you know, they had this golden opportunity, and they just... Threw it away. And in fact, Kane Harder has said that they, uh, that he called them a couple times and they seemed interested and they just kind of never called back. Like So they kind of just threw him to the side and said, we can get someone cheaper. Well, he was going to work for just slightly above scale. Uh, yeah, Ronnie Yu had no experience with either of the franchises before. and But he was a big Universal monster movie fan. Classic Universal monster. So he's like, he was like, it, well, just just from the interview I saw with him, what I the way I took it, he wanted he basically wanted Jason to be Frankenstein. He wanted a big lumbering, and he was directing Ken Kersinger to lumber around and basically be a modern day Frankenstein. I, I did love the the cornfield scene. That was the cornfield scene yeah. was the highlight. For me. Like I said, I really yeah. enjoy the movie. Still, I mean, it's got got its moments, and then uh, then it's got several cringeworthy moments too. But, uh, yeah. But we finally got Freddy and Jason in a movie together. So, you know, and we thought we were going to get a sequel. They were talking about it a lot, you know. I mean, the movie made money. It wasn't meant to be. So. Still better than uh, Jason X, though. I, see, I enjoy Jason X. I, I still enjoy Jason X. It's it, Yeah, I do, too, kind of, only because it knows that it's fucking... Off the just, wall. Yeah. You know. That you don't make a movie with Jason in space without knowing that it's going to be absurd. There, there, are, there are some things I liked about it. I liked the, some of the kills were great. Some of them were very creative. But I, I thought the ending that they, they completely ruined the ending. They, they, mm. And Jason comes to, comes back and falls into the lake again. And I'm like, really? He's going to fall. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, right through the right through the atmosphere, right into yeah. Crystal Lake. That's like, yeah. What are the chances of him falling right into Crystal Lake? And this was my first. Well, the whole movie was absurd, so why not? You know, they're like, why not just take it that one step further? And yeah, well, they okay. did. But and also, that was my first Friday film in the theater. Really? So, Holy shit! Yeah. Wow, my first one was uh, Friday Five. Oh, what do you think about that now, Rob? Are, are you glad now that movies finally people hated it for the longest time for the same reason they hated Halloween Three because it didn't have Jason and it didn't have and Halloween Three didn't have Michael in it. and now people you know they're really seem to now be getting their their due. People are really appreciating them now. You know what? Right now, I actually have, I have uh, somebody creating the uh, uh, Friday Five Hawk right now. Cool. Um, and uh, I've always loved Part 5. I think it has some of the most vicious kills. Um, it has a lot of kills in it, too. It has some truly likable characters. Even Ethel, I like Ethel. I just um, like it's so It's so sleazy. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. But, but it was also directed by a sleazy director, too. Uh, yes, true. 
But Asshole, guy, he was, I mean, come on, Asshole. Asshole was the most enjoyable character in the whole Eat series. Eat your fucking slop! <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm always been a big Five supporter, and I chat with a lot of the Five alumni. I, I chat with Melanie Kinnaman quite a bit. They're also the nicest people behind the scenes. Yeah, it's really cool. A lot of them, uh, you know, a lot of even ones that didn't really, you know, they kind of shunned the, doing those movies uh, after they did them. And now they've kind of, a lot of them come around, you know, to appreciate them. Even Adrian King, Adrian King has said that. She just wanted to break away and not be known just for that. Now she appreciates it more. Of course, that's how a lot of them make a living, you know, yeah, uh, from doing uh, conventions and whatnot now. So, of course, they're going to say that. But but I'm sure a lot of them are genuine about it, you know. You make a movie and 30, 40 years later, people are still excited about it. You know, mm-hmm. there's something to be said for that. Great, I think that's the great thing about horror. You can't say that about a lot of other genres. You can't say like that about action movies where people are talking about uh, a particular role that, a, like Sylvester Stallone. Stallone has many different iconic characters, but he didn't pinpoint one person. Where Adrian King, that's what she's known for. She's known for mm-hmm. Alice. Well, Cody, I think that that is pretty much it for this episode. Uh, I think so. Whoa. Shit. Yep. Well, over here. Right. Mike's phone is done. Yeah. Oh. So, for Cody and for our special guest, Rob, I'm Michael J. And we will see you guys next time. Adios, guys. Adios.
<gasps> that was horrible. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.